Today on Blue 58, organized team activities are underway, which means something approximating real football is going on in Green Bay. We'll talk about the OTAs in general, plus that one big notable absence that everybody is talking about, which just so happens to coincide with some public comments from the absent man in question. Blue 58! Hello and welcome to another episode of Blue 58, the one and only podcast of thepowersweep.com. I am your host, John Meerdink, happy to be with you here for another episode. We're going to talk minicamp. We're going to talk Aaron Rodgers. We're going to talk our continuing study on the NFL draft, particularly as it pertains to tight ends today. So, a lot to get to, but before we start getting to it, I want to take a second and give you an update on our poll related to the Blue 58 Offseason Book Club. After a week of voting, it looks like our listeners have chosen a winner, and that winner is... Blood, Sweat, and Chalk by Tim Layden. So we will are, we will begin our discussion on that in the very near future. If you would like to purchase that book, go ahead and do so from whatever retailer you can find that carries it. I am planning to start discussion on this the week of June 7th, so you've got a little bit of time. We're going to be traveling a little bit this weekend, and I'm going to be off of work in real life next week. So I figured we'd give it a little bit of time. Plus, I want people to be able to order the book if they would like to read along with us. And if you would like to read along, there is no cost to do so other than the book. I will be discussing it on the podcast, uh, chapter by chapter. But if you want to go a little bit deeper with your uh, conversation about this book, one of the best places to do that is in our Discord server. It's like a chat room, like a place to connect where we can all hang out. Packers fans from all over the world uh, talking football and whatever else is on our mind. And uh, you can get access to that Discord server by becoming a Patreon supporter at patreon.com slash thepowersweep. Any amount of money gets you in the door there. And if you're already a supporter and have not taken advantage of the uh, the Discord server, I would highly encourage you to do so. If you are not a supporter yet, perhaps this will be what gets you over the threshold there. In any case, we were starting the discussion on Blood, Sweat, and Chalk the week of June 7th. So go ahead and order your books if you plan to participate. It's minicamp. Let's talk about minicamp. Packers are not minicamp. Uh, organized team activities thoughts. Uh, minicamp is a couple of weeks away. I was thinking about minicamp because that is the big, um, not quite elephant in the room. What's smaller than an elephant? Rhinoceros in the room? Something that is approximately as big uh, and noteworthy as a small elephant. <laughs> there we go. Not the elephant in the room, just a smaller elephant, is is Aaron Rodgers' absence from mandatory off-season activities. And minicamp would be that. That starts uh, actually the week of June 7th when we're talking about blood, sweat, and chalk. Uh, but for now, the Packers are just in organized team activities. Uh, this is optional. You don't have to be there. But it is a part of the off-season program. And teams that have, or players that have, um, as part of their contract off-season workout bonuses, can lose money if they don't participate in organized team activities. So Aaron Rodgers is a part of that. We'll talk about him in a second. But there's a bunch of other stuff going on at minicamp other than that. And I thought there were five noteworthy storylines coming out of the first day of organized team activities that I thought we should at least touch on here. First and foremost is Jordan Love as QB1. Uh, So with Aaron Rodgers not in Green Bay, Jordan Love gets the opportunity to run the show. He is the de facto starting quarterback of the Green Bay Packers right now. Whether or not he remains so remains to be seen. But for right now, he is the top dog. 
So while this does have a little bit of an asterisk, it is also a really nice opportunity for him. He gets to show Matt LaFleur his command of the offense. He gets to show Brian Gutekunst how far he's come since they took him in the first round in in 2020, leading us to this point in more ways than one. And he gets to show his teammates as well, like, hey, you know, there was a reason that I was a first-round pick. You ought to believe in me too. This is a really great time for him. And I hope that whatever happens with Aaron Rodgers, that he just goes out and kicks butt. Because as a fan, that's good for the Packers. As someone who is covering the Packers, it's a great storyline. And as just a human being, you can't help but root for Jordan Love, at least from where I'm sitting, because he didn't ask for this. He didn't ask to be put in a situation where he causes tension between a Hall of Fame quarterback and the franchise. He didn't ask to have all this undue attention from his fan base. He didn't ask for any of it. He just wants to go out and play football, and now he has an opportunity to do that. And as exciting as it is to get a little actual news about Aaron Rodgers this week, I'm nearly as excited for when we finally get a chance to hear from Jordan Love. How does he handle himself? You know, as as unfortunate as it is that he is in this situation, how is he going to handle himself on and off the field when he's got to sit down in that Zoom call with reporters and anybody else who might happen to be watching? How does he handle the inevitable questions about Aaron Rodgers? How does he handle just being a starting NFL quarterback? It's going to be interesting, and I I hope he does a great job at it. Second thing that is noteworthy today is the non-Rodgers absences, specifically ones concentrated in one position group. Wide receivers Devontae Adams, Marquez Valdez-Scantling, Alan Lazard, Equinemius St. Brown, and Devin Funches were all not present for the first day of OTAs today. Matt LaFleur said he didn't think this was some kind of coordinated thing, uh, but it was interesting that all of them were gone. They were joined by Aaron Rodgers, of course, David Bakhtiari, and Jair Alexander, Kadar Holman, and Stanford Samuels, making it 10 players altogether that did not show up. Now, I'm sure each of these guys have their um, individual reasons for doing this, and they may be good, they may not be, but that is their right to come to a non-mandatory activity in the offseason. But I I do think this is worth keeping an eye on, uh, throughout the offseason because of what's been going on league-wide. There's been an increasing pushback uh, for lighter offseason activities. And while I think you can fairly point out that if the players wanted lighter offseason activities, they just had an opportunity to bargain for some of those a couple of years ago, last year in fact, uh, but instead chose to push for concessions elsewhere, like testing on some drugs, uh, some in-season stuff, And, um, you know, a couple other related things um, and kind of in exchange for the 17th game on the schedule, which is going to be happening this year. These guys don't have to show up 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 again if they don't want to. It's their money that they're leaving on the table. But um, this is part of a larger movement in the NFL. Uh, This push for offseason activities to be different or gone altogether, I don't think is going away anytime soon. And I think we should at least acknowledge when it appears to affect the Packers. Ten guys being gone is not like a huge amount. And a lot of these guys have very good reasons to not be there. Uh, A lot of these guys don't have workout bonuses in their contract. All the guys that are on their rookie contracts certainly don't. So why would they show up and risk getting hurt uh, when they don't have to? 
they can go train and do other things elsewhere. But the fact that it's enough to get you to double digits is kind of noteworthy. And I think we should at least make a note of it as this story continues to unfold league-wide. Among the guys that were actually there, we got a couple interesting stories on the offensive line. First and foremost, in relief of David Bakhtiari, we've got Elton Jenkins at left tackle. Sure, it is just organized team activities day number one. Sure, it is May. Sure, David Bakhtiari could theoretically be back by the start of the regular season. But I think it's just pretty cool that Elton Jenkins is the guy getting the first crack at being the team's starting left tackle. Billy Turner has done it before. Two mixed results. Now they are trying Elton Jenkins there. Pretty cool. And how cool is it that Elton Jenkins gets to add another high-profile position to his list here in year number three? He's already been the Packers' starting left guard for the majority of the season. He's been the Packers' starting center for a good chunk of the season. And now he is the presumptive, at least judging by day one of OTAs, for whatever that's worth, starter at left tackle until David Bakhtiari comes back. That's pretty cool. Also on the offensive line, Josh Myers, the rookie out of Ohio State, Packers' second-round pick, appears to be the starter at center. I'm just going to call it right now, he is not going to give this job back. At this point, I think someone's going to have to beat him out. And his biggest competition to start at center is playing left tackle right now. So if Myers shows any kind of ability at center, what the Packers are going to do is leave Elton Jenkins at left tackle. And then when David Bakhtiari comes back, they'll bump him inside to left guard. And then they'll have Myers, Jenkins, Bakhtiari from the center on out to left tackle. That's as few moving parts as you can really get. Sure, they'll probably do a couple things trying Myers at guard, but why mess around if you don't have to? He's a center. Leave him at center. They've started him there. Let's just ride it on out. He looks like he is going to be the Packers starting center, and I would expect him to take this and run with it, barring injury issues. And let's hope the Packers don't start dealing with that on top of everything else. Finally, I want to call out Aaron Jones for busting a bit of a storyline. Now, It's been interesting as this stuff has come out about Aaron Rodgers, about everything related to Aaron Rodgers, what has turned out to be true from initial reporting and the stuff that followed shortly thereafter, and what has gradually fallen away. One of the more salacious bits of the Aaron Rodgers storyline has been a report I couldn't even track down who it was from because it's taken on so many different lives of its own at this point. But one of the more salacious and interesting bits of this saga has been that Aaron Rodgers as far back as the middle of last season, was telling presumptive Packers free agents not to re-sign with the Packers because he was not going to be there. One of the more interesting things that people have pointed out was that didn't appear to really stop anybody from re-signing with the Packers because Kenny Clark re-signed with the Packers. David Bakhtiari re-signed with the Packers. Aaron Jones re-signed with the Packers. So if people were listening to Aaron Rodgers... He was either not very persuasive or this was not a thing that was happening at all. And Aaron Jones gave us a little bit of insight into that today. He said Aaron Rodgers never talked to him about not re-signing with the Packers. So if Aaron Rodgers was talking to presumptive free agents, it wasn't the Packers' best running back. Jones also added that 
even if Rodgers had talked to him about leaving, he wouldn't have because he likes it so much in Green Bay. So there you go. Fat lot of good that did you. Aaron Rodgers either is either not a very good reporter or recruiter or some reporter somewhere got some bad information because one of the biggest free agent fish out there just decided to disregard Rodgers' <laughs> apparent threats about leaving Green Bay. We've got to talk about Aaron Rodgers. Said we wouldn't talk about him unless and until he spoke on the record, and he has finally done so. Monday night, he appeared with ESPN's Kenny Maine on Maine's last edition of SportsCenter. As an aside, kind of a loss for all of us. I think Kenny Maine was one of the last remaining great things about ESPN, at least from the era of ESPN in which I grew up. Certainly something that is entirely unique among sports media. Kenny Maine is kind of his own animal. A very unusual guy and, and a lot of fun on SportsCenter. But his era is now over at ESPN, and on his way out, uh, he had Aaron Rodgers on for a one-on-one chat. Now, this is a friendly environment for Aaron Rodgers. He and Kenny Mayne are friends, and if you're going to get a interview out there on national television, it pays to do it with one of your friends. So Aaron Rodgers goes on and talks with Kenny Mayne, and Mayne doesn't really stick it to him, but he asks a few semi—not— complete softball questions, but he does press him a little bit on something. So what's the big deal going on in Green Bay? And Rogers just kind of says, well, it's about people. It's about doing things the right way. It's about doing, it's about culture and things like that. And as is so often the case with Aaron Rodgers, it's more about what he doesn't say than what he does say. And he didn't say a lot about um, Brian Gutekunst. He didn't say a lot about the front office in general. He did say a lot about how he likes the coaching staff, he likes the fans, he likes the city of Green Bay, and all of that. So where does that leave us? If the issue here is people, what are the people in question? So I think you could talk about the people that Aaron Rodgers could be mad at. You could talk about the people that Aaron Rodgers could be mad about, or people might mean something entirely different altogether. People that Rodgers is mad at are pretty clearly Brian Gutekunst and Mark Murphy. I think at this point it is clear that Rodgers has not been a big fan with of how they have done things. The frustrating thing there is he hasn't really said um, what it is he would like them to do differently. We're kind of just left with, again, what does Aaron Rodgers want? And Aaron Rodgers is not inclined to really tell us. You can also talk about people that are not around that Aaron Rodgers would have liked to see stay around. The names that come to mind there, Jordy Nelson, Randall Cobb, Jake Kumaro, maybe Clay Matthews, Alex Van Pelt. If Green Bay is all about people, those people leaving certainly would take away some of what Rodgers enjoys about being a member of the Green Bay Packers. And I think that's fair, if a bit naive. Of course, people are going to come and go. And Aaron Rodgers should know this more than most. If Brett Favre can get traded away from the Green Bay Packers, it can happen to anybody. And by the way, Brian Gutekunst was right on all of those calls. 
Jordy Nelson was cooked when he left the Packers. Randall Cobb has been successful, but I think ultimately the move was the correct one. I would have liked to see him replaced a little bit sooner, maybe spend some more resources on replacing him. But I think that was that was a defensible call, especially what he was set to make after that season. And Jake Kummerow, look, Aaron, I get it. You like him, but he contributed less on special teams than Malik Taylor did. He's less of an athlete than Taylor was, is. He has no return ability. If you're keeping a fifth, sixth wide receiver, it can't just be a comfort blanket for the the quarterback for the eight snaps a game he's going to be on the field. You get mad because he's your friend, whatever. Sure, that's fine. But it's just a little bit unrealistic to get super bent out of shape over that. Now, some of the things that Gudekunz did after those moves, I think that's where you can get a little bit frustrated. So Jordy Nelson departs. Brian Gudekunz signs Jimmy Graham. Basically a one-for-one swap salary-wise. And we all know how that went in Green Bay. Jimmy Graham was not the weapon that came as advertised. And at that point, you might as well keep Jordy Nelson. But I think if you if you look at what else the Packers are doing at that time, that's just a case of things not quite working out with their first option. Packers were also in on Allen Robinson at that time. And I think that was their real goal. And when they didn't get Robinson, they settled for Jimmy Graham. The miss there was not cutting Jordy Nelson. The miss was getting Jimmy Graham instead of Allen Robinson to replace Jordy Nelson. And if you want to complain about the second order there with, with Gutekunst, I think that is legit. But just complaining about Jordy Nelson going is is not something I think that's going to carry a lot of weight. Same kind of goes with Randall Cobb. You let him go, I think that's defensible. But you don't replace him, less so. And Jake Kumaro, even... Okay, say it's Jake Kumaro versus Malik Taylor. All right, well, I'm I'm on the Taylor side of that, but neither of them are great options, and both of them are probably better than Darius Shepard, who ended up spending two and a half months on the 53-man roster last year, despite not being a good receiver or a good returner. I mean, what gives there? So there are some small complaints there, but ultimately it does seem a little bit, a little bit, naive. And more to the point, Rodgers never says when he talks about the Packers needing to do things the right way, what that right way is, or how the Packers have gone away from it, or what they need to do to get back. Rodgers, I think, is also a little bit ignorant of history here. There's one quote I want to explore at length here. He said, quote, Green Bay has always been about people. From Curly Lambeau being owner and founder in the six, to the 60s with Vince Lombardi and Bart Starr and all the incredible names, to the 90s teams with Coach Mike Holmgren and Brett Favre and the Minister of Defense, to the run we've, we've been on, it's about the people. All of that is true. How many of those people ended their careers with the Packers? The answer is one. One person. And that person is Bart Starr. And it went really badly for him coming back as a coach. Curly Lambeau left to coach the Bears and the Washington Redskins at the time, the Redskins, now the Washington football team. Vince Lombardi also left for Washington because he was bored of being the general manager alone in Green Bay. 
Mike Holmgren left because he wanted to be the general manager. Brett Favre left, and we don't need to explore that situation. Reggie White retired with the Packers, but then unretired so he could play with the Carolina Panthers. If it's all about people, all about people being in Green Bay, that can be true. But if all of those people can leave too or be pushed out the door, why does Aaron Rodgers get to get upset about people planning for him to be gone? It seems a little counterintuitive. So that brings us to the last interpretation of people. People can mean something else entirely, and I think people might actually just mean Aaron Rodgers. He said at one point, but people, that's the most important thing. People make an organization. People make a business, and sometimes that gets forgotten. Culture is built brick by brick, the foundation of it by people, not by the organization, not by the building, not by the corporation. It's built by people. But taking that remark in the larger context of what Roger says, I think it reads a little bit better if you say it like this. But Aaron Rodgers, that's the most important thing. Aaron Rodgers makes an organization. Aaron Rodgers makes a business, and sometimes that gets forgotten. Culture is built brick by brick, but the foundation of it is by Aaron Rodgers, not by the organization, not by the building, not by the corporation. It's built by Aaron Rodgers. Aaron Rodgers seems upset because things are not going well for Aaron Rodgers. He would rather them be going differently. Not necessarily even better sometimes, I think. But he would just rather they be different. And he would rather they just be different in a way that suits Aaron Rodgers. That's an opinion you can have as Aaron Rodgers. That doesn't mean he's necessarily right. It's nice to have heard from him. I think ultimately we just got to take this as kind of a return volley to the Packers. All right, you've spoken publicly. We've heard from Brian Gutekunst. Mark Murphy wrote a column about it on Packers.com. Matt LaFleur spoke about it as well. Now I'm Aaron Rodgers. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say some things too. Neither of us is moving the ball at all, but we've both at least spoken. Your turn again now, Packers. What are you going to say? We'll see. We'll see what they say, and we'll see what happens five days from now when it becomes June 1st. It's going to start to get interesting at that point. Before we talk about tight ends, I want to take a second and shout out some contributors on Patreon. We've got three I want to talk about today. Michael Winkler. Gary Crook, and Jeffrey T. Ketchum. All of these fine individuals have been Patreon supporters since 2019, and you can be like them if you head to patreon.com slash thepowersweep, like we said up top. You get access to our Discord server as well as some premium content as well if you choose to support at any amount, patreon.com slash thepowersweep. Let's talk tight ends. We've been doing this study on where the best contributors in the draft come from. And for this episode, I've looked at the last year of tight, last 10 years, excuse me, of tight end performance in the NFL. And, uh, and here's what I've found. Tight end generally is a more, I would say, talent poor position than the other two we've looked at so far. There are fewer productive tight ends than there are wide receivers or running backs. The two numbers we've looked at are defense adjusted yards above replacement, DYAR, and DVOA. Defense-adjusted value over average. DYAR is your volume production. DVOA is your efficiency. How much raw production are you churning out? And how efficiently are you doing it? In both categories, there were fewer tight ends that met the threshold than there were running backs or tight ends. 
it follows, broadly speaking, the general pattern we've seen with the bulk of the talent coming in the first three rounds. But there are some caveats here. First and foremost, unlike what we saw with both receiver and tight end, the third round is where the bulk of these productive seasons are coming from. Since 2011, there have been 94 instances of a tight end recording at least 100 defense-adjusted yards above replacement, according to Football Outsiders. 29 of those seasons have come from the third round. There's a couple big producers in that round. You've got Jimmy Graham. You've got um, Travis Kelsey. Jermichael Finley's got a couple in there, but a bunch of good talent has come from the third round. 29 of those seasons came from the third round. Combined, the first two rounds have just 34 seasons. So the talent is a little bit later appearing among tight ends. If you look at the efficiency numbers, it shifts even later. 54 of the 149 seasons since 2011, in which a tight end has recorded a DVOA number of 10% or higher, have come from the third and fourth rounds. Just 18 have come from the first round, another 26 from the second round. So 10 more seasons come from the third and fourth round combined than the first and second round combined. So it appears that tight ends pop up a little bit later than receivers and running backs. But wait, you're saying, but wait, if most of these seasons are coming from just a few guys, just a couple Isn't that throwing your numbers off? Maybe, but not really. So I took out for, I guess, a second version of the the study, looking at the same numbers. I took out every repeat season. So we're just looking at the the guys who have produced at least one season that met these numbers, met our thresholds. And the results were fascinating. So when we're back to DYAR, defense-adjusted yards above replacement, the numbers break down in a really interesting way. There have only been 48 players since 2011 who have recorded a season of at least 100 yards above replacement. 100 yards better than just an average tight end off the street. And the round-by-round breakdown is pretty, pretty fascinating. Just seven of those 48 have come from the first round. Another nine from the second, nine from the third, and six from the fourth round. The fifth and sixth rounds have four and five apiece. None have come from the seventh round. And then eight players have come in from the undrafted free agent pool. That is a pretty even breakdown. No more than 9% of these seasons or of these players have come from any one round. You can split this into just about any group you want and come up with a pretty even split. Fourth and fifth round, 10 picks. Uh, f- uh, just day three in general, 15. 15 picks is just one fewer than the first two rounds combined. So just as many guys have produced a season that meets our threshold there on day three as come from the entire first and second rounds. That's interesting to me. You've got a better or a pretty good chance of picking up a pretty good tight end late. What about our other number, DVOA? This follows generally the same, same sort of breakdown. Eight players of the 80 in this pool came from the first round, so about 
13 come from the second round. The third round produced 15. The fourth round produced 12. The fifth round produced nine, six, seven, no seventh rounders again, and then 16 undrafted free agents for a total of 80 players. 80 players have produced a season since 2011 at tight end with a DVOA number of at least 10% or higher. What does this say in context? Well, having covered running backs, receivers, and tight ends, we've now talked about the three non-quarterback skill positions on offense. These are the players that we can really talk about one-to-one. And I think it's okay to leave quarterbacks out of this conversation because I think everybody pretty much knows that if you're not drafting a quarterback in the first round, you're really at best throwing darts. At best. It is a it's a really, really tough go to get a quarterback outside the first round anymore. So what does this tell us then about these three skill position groups? First, I went back and looked at the numbers again, updated some of them, and found that if you're just looking at the three positions in terms of sheer number available, your best bet almost always to get production is to draft a receiver in any round. There are just more of them, and chances are you're going to get more production for your football team by taking receivers than by taking running backs or tight ends. So take a running back first, second, and third. Second, if you're going to draft one early, chances are if you draft a running back, you're going to have a better hit rate than tight end. Tight ends go later. Running backs go a little bit earlier. If you got a running back that fits with what you do, I think it makes more sense, and you'll probably get more production than taking a tight end at, the similar, at a similar spot. So draft a running or draft a wide receiver, but if you're going to take a skill position and there's just tight ends and running backs on the board, you're better off going running back. And I think that's because of how running backs can contribute in, in more than one way that really impacts your, your offense positively. But if you're to the middle rounds and there's no transcendent talent on the board at running back, I think your, your, your best bet is to take a high-end traits tight end. Because we've seen that there are tight ends to be had in the middle rounds. Third, fourth, and fifth round produce 36 players out of 80 that met our DVOA threshold in the last 10 years. That's pretty good. That's an average of almost four a year in the middle rounds. You can get one or two good seasons out of a guy in the, in the middle rounds. You're doing pretty well. And chances are, there's more to follow there. Chances are, if you're taking a tight end and he's pretty productive in the third, fourth, or fifth round, it's not just going to be for one or two seasons. It might be three or four or five seasons. That's a pretty good value. So look for wide receivers early. If you can't get a receiver, I think it's defensible to take a running back if you must draft a skill position player. But once you're in the middle rounds, tight ends are really where you want to be. Oddly enough, that fits pretty well with what the Packers have done. The numbers kind of bear that out. As someone who's been fairly critical of the process there, I'm not quite sure what to make of that. I think there's quibbles that you can have with the kind of tight end that, say, a Josiah DeGuara is. But the Packers do have some analytical support 
for their draft model. That's kind of inescapable. We talked about that last year. If you want a good running back, you pretty much got to take them early. These guys aren't just showing up from the late rounds. There, there aren't a ton of, there just aren't. It's, it's, it's simply a fact that there aren't a ton of productive running backs coming from the later rounds. They go early. You can argue about whether or not it's a good idea to build around your running backs if you want, but you're not getting great value if you're drafting one late. Your chances are you're not going to get a big producer. Wide receivers are more valuable than running backs and tight ends put together. Chances are you're going to get a much bigger contributor at receiver than you are at running back. That's what the data shows. But if you can't get either of those, tight end is a pretty safe bet in the middle rounds. We'll have to see how that plays out on the field for the Packers going forward, given what they what we know about what they passed up at certain positions to draft others. In the meantime, we've got more data to work with, and I think this study has been instructive from that point. I'm going to lay out a little bit more of this data in an upcoming post for Patreon. Just want to share some of my notes. That's a good place I've found to uh, do some less polished writing and stuff like that. Uh, so I've got some stuff going up there, I think, in the near future. Hopefully this week. If not, it'll probably be a couple weeks from now. But I'm going to share some of my behind-the-scenes notes uh, that I compiled on this there and in the Discord server. And you know what to do if you'd like to be a part of that. In the meantime, that's all I've got for you in this episode. Appreciate you listening in. Appreciate the time you spent with us uh, throughout this offseason, all the crazy stuff that has gone on. And if you enjoyed the show and think someone might, uh, someone you know might as well, do me a favor and share it with them. That's going to help more people find the show, get involved in this conversation we're having around the Packers, and ultimately help all of us, me included, become smarter Packers fans. Because as I always say, smarter Packers fans are better Packers fans, and better Packers fans are what we all want to be. I'm your host, John Meerdink. We'll see you next time on Blue 58.